if you look in the back of the Eitz Chaim, you have some images of the, the, the washing laver, the altar, the menorah. And these are all kind of guesses of what they look like. The altar for incense, the ark and, and the keruvim, the table for the bread of display. And then, you know, the, the, the complexities of the design of how the tabernacle, the Mishkan, was sort of set up, where things were, how could people get to them, how were they related to one, one another in a composition. And of course, all of those poles and clasps and, 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 and hangings and where we, you get a, a sense of it right here. Now, we don't really know what all those things look like exactly. We have an idea from the descriptions. And so sometimes people, even myself, think of this like a blueprint, like the Torah is repeating. It's, it's a blueprint and we build from it. But the rabbis point out that if you are following along, you can't really know exactly how to build this. You see, you, you get descriptions of designs, you get measurements, you get numbers, but not really a picture of how to put it all together. The rabbis themselves ask, so what, how did they know what to do? They say this was a source of enormous anxiety for Moshe. So they said that Moshe was on the mountain getting instructions from God and he was getting more and more anxious about what, what's it supposed to be. And then he received some brief visions, a vision of what that menorah should look like, a vision of what another piece should look like, a vision of how things should be related to each other in composition. And in some ways, our relationship with God is about these brief moments of vision, how something should be put together. And the rabbis add in a wonderfully human way that because Moses was so anxious about all this stuff and he was having these brief visions while hearing all these instructions that he started taking notes on his hand and he was making little diagrams so that when he left the mountain, he would still remember. And then he was nervous and he asked God, is it okay according to the Midrash that he's like making diagrams on, on, on his hand? And God said, do what you need to do. You can take those down to the people when you're building. So I think this teaches us something about how there's no blueprint for making each piece of the Mishkan, for knowing exactly how they should be uh, composed together. And there's not always a blueprint for how to live and how to construct the most important things in our lives. It's not so clear exactly how you even compose a synagogue unless you have a vision, and a vision that comes from being in touch with God, and then putting it into a mission, and then a strategic plan. So you know how all of the things going, go together. Of course, we just heard the golden calf last week. It's actually remarkably similar in a way. You're building something wonderful for God. You're taking all the good ideas in the world. You have the same positive energy when you're making the golden calf. But what you're basically doing is taking all the good ideas and throwing them in. It said about the golden calf, it wasn't our fault, Moses. We, we threw in all of this great stuff into the mold and out of the mold came the golden calf. Um, so what's the difference between good ideas being put together and an artistic vision and bringing a vision to bear of things that go together and how they do. So I'd like to share a brief tribute to the artist Richard DeVore, one of America's leading ceramicists. Richard DeVore grew up in Toledo, went to college there, and then he did his advanced degree at Cranbrook here in the West Bloomfield Hills area. And then he became the head of ceramics for many years at Cranbrook. Eventually, he took a position at Colorado State in Fort Collins teaching. And one of the things Richard DeVore taught was that when you are designing a work of art, you should be able to know how each piece, each decision you've made about what you've done 
contributes to the vision that you are trying to fulfill, contributes to the message that the whole thing is saying. And he would ask his students, including my wife, why is that there? Why that choice? Now, our family, I don't know about yours in pandemic, one of our favorite things to do on pandemic is we have streamed every one of those shows like uh, Project Runway, all of those seasons, the one where the people blow glass and, it, and each person's eliminated each week, the glass blowers. We've done the Ceramicists, which is an amazing show where each person is um, making ceramics. And one of the things we know when you're watching these shows is the judges at the end will say something like, well, why is that part green? Or why did you make that part so small? And what you see is the artists so often say things like, well, the work of art, I was expressing how I once went through a difficult time and the art is expressing how I went through that time. And then the judge will be like, but like, why is that part small? Or why is that part green? Or why is that part shiny? And they're like, well, when I was working with it and I was channeling the, the time that, that came out, right? That's the golden calf, right? Put things in, but it came out and it's really beautiful, right? Richard DeVore would have none of it. His attitude is, if you can't tell me how that part serves the rest, why that design is there? And I'm thinking of the Mishkan. Why is that design there? Why, why is the metalwork hammered in, 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 instead of using different kinds of tools for it? Forward. If you can't answer those questions or you're faking it, you really don't know what you're doing. You made a golden calf instead. One of the things that my wife tells me that um, Professor DeVore used to teach her all the time was he'd say, look, if you're going to make, you're going you're gonna to make a coffee cup. Think of it as a ritual object. Don't think of, I'm making a cup. It's a ritual object. It should serve, each part of it serves the utilitarian purpose of drinking coffee. But also think of the process of drinking coffee as a ritual. And each part of the ritual needs to be there. And then you will know when you create this, this mug or this utensil, how it fits with the larger picture. We look at the menorah and we're like, that's pretty. Oh, the almond blossoms and the calyxes. Why are they there? Well, they're pretty, they're nice. I can imagine Moses being really stressed out. What's that exactly supposed to be? We wonder if uh, he was defending this artwork to the judge of the ceramic show. What were you trying to do here, Moses? What were you trying to do here, God? What, what, like, why the almond blossoms and, and the almond work? We can imagine Moses saying, well, the menorah looks like the tree from the Garden of Eden. Because in the, garden, in the Garden of Eden, the tree of knowledge of good and bad was described as enlightenment for the eyes, according to the serpent. So here, the vessel that gives a light, the giant menorah that lights things up at night, the great candelabrum of the temple, it symbolizes the enlightenment of the eyes. And it is the tree of knowledge here among us. As, and, and I could go on, on and on about we're entering the Garden of Eden when we entered that temple, and I could continue if the judges have time for me to explain. I say, well, wait, weren't there two uh, trees in the Garden of Eden? Yes, there were. And the other was the tree of life. And that's what's in the Holy of Holies, the Ten Commandments, the Ark of the Covenant, and eventually the Torah scroll itself inside the Ark. And so when you walk in, you have the tree made of all of the blossoms and branches, and you have another tree, the tree of life. So each piece, actually fits together as a great work. My wife tells me that some people didn't like Richard DeVore and his art because, uh, because he, was, he was a tough teacher. He's the, he's the judge who's like, so I don't understand why you chose that glaze. Tell me, what, what, what purpose does that glaze serve with what you were trying to say? And if you start to stutter and say, that's a good question. How did that come out? You need to go and figure that out and try again. 
And she, but she said that, you know, she fell in love with the way a mind like that works and she wanted to be around it, but she wonders whether today he would even be, may his memory bring blessings, may, whether he'd be able to talk to students that way or their parents would write complaints to the Dean and say, he's there to be their coach, not to tell them that he's not sure that they should really go on in this because really only 5% of people who major in art actually do it anyway. And it doesn't look like you really know how to be purposeful in your compositions and speak in your life that way. How does this operate in our own lives? I think of the visions that we get of how it is that we wanna, let's say, raise our children as a work of art. Now, the children themselves are not the, are not the product. They are not the art. But the parenting is the work of art. They're the mission. And Lynn would say things like, I want my children to be able to have a conversation with adults, to ask them about themselves, to talk about themselves, to have the right body language, to show interest and be engaged. And so we had to decide. So if our parenting is our work of art, what part of the Mishkan can lead to that mission and fulfill that purpose? And so we intentionally provided pieces in our parenting, lots of talking with our children, having conversations with them, starting when they were very, very pre-verbal so that people made fun of us who saw us doing it. Lots of going to synagogue, to Shiva Minyanim, to hearing others talk, to hearing what's important to them and socializing and answering questions. And of course, a lot of watching us, how we ask questions and share. I want my children to practice that they share this world with others. How to do this? Well, we model and we talk about the fact that if others jump to the front of the line and raise their hands, it's okay. You can step back. You can let the other person who really needs to ask their question and have it heard, um, but you can keep answering the question or asking your question in your head. And one, while you're a little bit farther back in the queue and think about what your teacher might answer or what you think the answer could be. We make our continual practice of eating like Judaism does, a piece of the work of art of our parenting. How can we eat food that produces a tiny fraction of the greenhouse gases for a planet? Because we share this planet with others and we share the air and the water. It's not teaching and talking at them. It's a mere delivery of God's commands from on high. Frankly, that, that's not really that effective. If at the end of the day, we just end up with a golden calf. You know, I read this, I'm gonna teach it to you. I just read this article or, or someone on social media just suggested we try this. But instead looking to the future and seeing how the different parts of the composition work. We know from even before they were born that the Talmud says you should raise your children to do things for themselves so that when they leave home, they'll feel confident and independent. So how do we accomplish this? So Lynn and I together, brought in a piece to coordinate with the other parts of that work of art of parenting. We brought in the Shechiano. And the Shechiano wasn't like, the Shechiano is nice. The rabbi told us about the Shechiano or the kids uh, learned it at school. It wasn't something that was just came in as a good idea. We purposefully used it in our work of art. Anytime we notice they can do something for themselves that we've been doing for them, tying their shoes when they're little, taking their own temperature, picking out their clothes, moving on to more recent years of, um, being responsible for the family's evening pot of sleepy time tea or two. And now this year, making their own breakfast from the various options that they now know how to do for themselves. Waffles, yogurt and granola, parfaits, hookahs uh, who doesn't like a parfait, quick oats, oatmeal and so on. And when we notice a Shechianu moment, we have them do the thing for themselves and teach it back to us. And we say they're Shechianu. 
You reached a moment where now you can do this for yourself. It's the first thing song. So if an art critic, if we had the Project Runway people and they're like, why are you doing that blessing? How does it contribute to that work of art? How does it coordinate with the other things that you're doing? We have an immediate response. It's not that Maya Bialik did a video about it, right? It's not a golden calf. It's not a bunch of good ideas thrown together. I mean, parenting should be purposeful. A synagogue should be constructed purposefully. And a lot of what makes it constructed well is the 90% of the time we say no to things, things that don't belong or things that don't serve the purpose mindfully and fitting with everything else. There were hundreds of poles, threads, decorations, rugs and clasps, and the laver and the altar and each was part of a work of art. And each one, a judge from Project One Way could walk up to and say, why this? Why this here? Why that shape? How is it a ritual object serves a purpose for people as part of an organized and a larger sense of holiness that we build into our lives as a work of art. And Moses and us, we can answer. The instructions don't get you a purposeful life. It was the vision that Moses had and that each of us get in glimpses of what we're trying to create, what's our mission. And how do I get to the vision through each of the pieces to build that integrated work in which each piece serves a function that gets to that vision? It's not a recipe. It's a work of art.